Hello, everyone. I'm Christian Goey. This is Pick and Pod. On the phone is our own Kevin Kelly, a beat reporter for the New York Knicks. Well, our one of our beat reporters for the New York Knicks, I should, I should say. <laughs> Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am so excited to talk basketball. I can't even uh, begin to you know tell you. Great. Yeah, I mean, we've been trying to do this for a long time. We did it, we did one in the summertime, yep. I believe, uh, with free agency and the draft and everything. That was a great one. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. It's it's a bummer that it took so long to reunite, but mm-hmm. here we are, and I think everybody knows what the lead story is uh, for this podcast, and that is, of course, the Knicks and Derek Fisher. Now, Fisher, he had a five-year, 25 25- million dollar deal uh, that in in itself is a little bit uh questionable and uh in 2014 he signed with the Knicks uh Phil Jackson's disciple uh 40 and 96 was his record after one and a half seasons basically with the Knicks he was let go on Monday and uh Kurt Rambis was the was named the interim head coach they played last night and they lost in a close one to the Wizards 111-108 you know, I guess my first question would be, Kevin, what is your opinion on uh, on the Fisher firing, and do you think it was the right call? I I do think it was the right call. I think the timing is a little bit odd. I know the Knicks now are nine games under five hundred, so it's a rough spot that they're in. But I just think it's a it's a weird spot. It's a weird time to do it. I think bringing Rambis in is is an okay decision for now, as they try to search for another coach. But I was never the biggest fan of Fisher. Um, there are a couple things. One thing that stood out to me was earlier this year in uh, the game that Kristaps Porzingis had his first really great game. It was at the Garden. It was against Charlotte. I think he had like 29 points and 12 boards or something along those lines. And afterwards, Fisher was talking about how the fans were chanting his name and whatnot. And he, he said something like, oh, tonight they love you, but that's not necessarily going to you know, continue to be the case. And I remember thinking, like, I can see the being a positive message if you you know frame it the right way, but the way it came out of his mouth just didn't seem right. And I wonder how players take those kind of comments because there were things like that I noticed throughout the year. He says some things, and it's just like I know you don't have to necessarily stroke your e- stroke the players' egos. They're you know being paid millions of dollars to play basketball, but certain things I just don't think they would go over well with players. And I've read a couple things that maybe he was a little too preachy and not enough oriented on the uh, X's and O's. I don't know. What's your opinion of it? Yeah, you know, you know, Kevin, I, I, I don't, I never got the feeling this guy was going to be a superstar coach, a guy that would bring the Knicks, you know, championships. I mean, obviously, a lot of it is your roster, and the Knicks roster is far from complete. Right. But you just never got the feeling, and one of the telltale signs for me with Fisher, and I don't look at his record, forty and ninety-six, because last year, you know, he was dealing with a with a pathetic roster. Yeah, you can it, throw that one out. Basically. Right. But I look more so at this year. But last year as well, I never got the feeling when they came out of a timeout that they were improved. I never got the feeling that he really connected with them from an X's and O's standpoint. Maybe, you know, I think they respected him. And, and, and like you said, with the, the he's more preachy than he is, you know, technical X's and O's kind of guy. And I just don't think the players had a lot of confidence in his game plan. I think, you know, they respected him. You know, Fisher's got a good reputation around the league, although that was a little damaged with the whole Matt Barnes incident. I think that year. was a huge part of this, too. You do. I was going to ask you that. I, I didn't, but a Charlie Rosen, who's Phil's confidant, and he writes, you know, he has that blog, he said that was yeah. um, a factor. I didn't realize it was such a big, big, big role in it. Why do you think that that played such a big role? Well, I, 
I thought the same thing originally. Where I was like, oh, it's probably not that big a deal. But I think a lot of the right afterwards, a lot of the questions towards Phil were, you know, regarding that. And he is saying that it wasn't the reason, but that it definitely, you know, put the franchise in a bad light and was a bad thing. I think the fact that he even acknowledged the incident, and that being any part of it, is huge. And the reports that the players were really unhappy about that situation. I mean, yeah. I could totally see myself if I'm in that locker room and somebody of the, the you know the brotherhood players is has that situation happen and their coach was part of it. I could see that being a being a big problem. Yeah, and you know, obviously it's embarrassing, and Phil admitted that on Monday when he spoke to the media. But I just thought at this point. Why is that still, you know, it, yeah, if I see what you mean, yeah, if it was such a big deal at the time, I thought, you know, wouldn't they have made more of it, or maybe wouldn't there, and not that you can really discipline Fisher because what did he do wrong, right? Um, but I just thought it kind of passed over, and, and you know, Memphis visited not too long ago, the Knicks, I think it was just a week or two ago, and maybe that kind of brought back a little more embarrassment, so to speak. I I don't know. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but apparently it is, and apparently it was, and um, at least that's what Rosen wrote. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, obviously the Knicks, they're already kind of walking on eggshells, so it, it wasn't really uh, the right team to do it yeah. um, with. <laughs> but um, moving moving aside from that, uh, moving on from that, um, you know, we've heard a lot of names floated around, and... You know, Mark Jackson, Tom Thibodeau, most notably, uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Those are the guys that are not triangle guys. Even Scott Brooks, I, I read today. Oh, I, I saw that too. Yeah, and like they, they, the Knicks apparently heard that it would be, it would give them a better shot at getting Durant. Yeah, but you know, Fisher, Fisher yeah. was Durant's friend. Right. So that's where I they thought together. But I mean, if 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 they have sources, if there's sources saying that that could be a legitimate possibility with Durant coming to New York, then sign Scott Brooks by all means. <laughs> but but let's get to the triangle guys because I think those are the guys. You know, if Phil Jackson is still here in the summertime and he has an opt out clause, that's going to be my little theory that I'll talk about. Ooh. Do you think he's going to stick with a triangle guy? Do you could you see him going outside of that system and going with a guy like Thibodeau or or or, or Brooks, or do you think he'll go with one of his triangle guys like Brian Shaw or or Luke Walton? I I don't think he'll go outside the box right now. If maybe if he sticks around and he has to go through one more coach, I think this coach will be a triangle guy before he branches out. I think Brian Shaw is one of the more likely candidates, even though I don't think that's really the right approach. We saw, I mean, Shaw is a great player development guy. You, a guy like Paul George, he was really, really helpful towards him. Right. Paul George loves him. Yeah. You see him in Denver last year, and that team was just lost. They were awful. Yeah. They had that. They were bad. Now, man, they have that now, the uh, the chant where it was one, two, three, six weeks, which was supposedly a chant towards the end of the season. They were six <laughs> weeks from the end of the season. They just wanted to be done, which is horrible. When you, and he got fired soon after that. And I, I just don't know about Shaw. I I think he's a great guy to have on your bench and developing players, but I just don't think he's the best option for a head coach for the Knicks right now. Yeah, and Shaw went 56-85 and 85 in just under two seasons with Denver. He was fired. Fish, it's, it's, it's better, but it's not much better than Fisher, who went 40-96, got to remember, as we said. Uh, I, think the, I think the Denver roster, though, was better during that time, and I think that's why for we, sure the first Fisher year. gets a little bit of a break. But Denver, Ty Lawson was playing well at that time. I mean, they had Fareed, who I think is a good player. Gallinari was hurt a lot for his stint, but 
I think there was more. There are more problems there. Yeah, I mean, and, and and it's not saying much that they had a better roster than the Knicks in the first year because. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about Samuel D'Alembert was the starting center at one point. Right. They didn't have Calderon for much for much of the season, and they had Cole Aldrich starting as well. <laughs> I mean, it was it was an absolute embarrassment. It was a D League team last year for the Knicks. Yep. And it's better this year, but I still think you know a lot of the criticism. Um, of the Knicks firing Fisher is that, look, the roster's still not very good. And I get that, but at the same time, when you start slipping and, you and you know, when they fired him, they had lost nine of their last 10, they now lost 10 of their last 11. They had a five-game losing streak. When you kind of see that slippage, you know, it, it raises some red flags. And, and there's rumblings, you know, Phil wasn't happy with the way Fisher was running the triangle or they were kind of sliding a little bit. Rambis, when he was uh, speaking to the media uh, Monday, he, he noted the defense was really sliding. And I, I think from a technicality standpoint with the triangle, they want to get back into focusing on the triangle and, and, and really kind of honing in on it. I think Fisher was sort of getting away from that. Maybe he wasn't doing as good of a job lately. And, and, and Jackson even spoke about their communication and, and how it was, it felt like a little bit of a one-sided, uh, you know, communication with, with Fisher. He wouldn't really respond elaborately. He would just say, got it when Phil would give him a tip or, or something through an email. So I, you know, I don't, I think that relationship kind of fizzled out or not fizzled out. I don't want to say that, but Fisher, he wasn't making the the signs of improvement that Jackson wanted to see. He wasn't he wasn't doing what Jackson wanted to see at this stage in the game. Right, and one of the things too, I think we have to remember is that Fisher was by no means the first choice for the Knicks back when they were yeah. looking for a head coach. They wanted Steve Kerr, and that just did not pan out. I think if this was Steve Kerr and it was similar record, similar point, I think Steve Kerr would still be there. Right. I think it's a it's a weird situation. You get Fisher in there, and this contract is. Oh, it's kind of inexcusable. Five years, twenty-five million. You mentioned before it. It just doesn't make any sense to go it's, that long. It's ludicrous. It. A guy coming right from the NBA as a player. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. But so, so you're leaning towards the triangle guy as well, or is there somebody else you have in mind that would be? Well, you know, I think I'm on board with the consensus, and that is, you know, Tom Thibodeau. I, I you know, the guy, his resume speaks for itself. He 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 consistently put the Bulls at the top of the Eastern Conference, despite when they didn't have Rose. And and I think players really like Thibodeau. And, I, and you know, Melo has spoken fondly of him in the past, and he's apparently a big Melo fan. You know, he really tried to get Melo in uh, Chicago in when he was in free agency last summer. So I think it's a perfect match, Thibodeau and, and Carmelo. The problem with Thibodeau is he's not a triangle guy. Is Jackson going to step outside his comfort zone and his philosophy. And there's also the question, does Thibodeau play his guys too much? Do you think that's a significant issue? I think it could be. I think that, that was one of the things. I, I think it's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Thibodeau. All you hear about is that he overworks his guys. That They get to the playoffs and they're you know not at the level they need to be. They, don't, they can't kick it into another gear. And I think that could be taken into consideration. But at the same time, I think I, I I would not be opposed to the next picking him as their next coach. I think he could be a, a good guy. I remember hearing about uh, Mello being interested in in Thibodeau and Thibodeau being interested in uh, Mello. And I, I don't know. We'll we'll see how this plays out. But I I would not be opposed to that fit. I think it would show that Phil Jackson's really heading a different direction. 
And it would be interesting to see if he brought in a guy like Thibodeau, how much he would be uh, a part of what was going on with the everyday workings of the team. If he was trying to have Thibodeau work some of Phil's philosophies into the, into the mix. Yeah, and, and, and you know, last night I, I mentioned earlier uh, the Knicks lost 111-108 to the Wizards. They had a chance to go to overtime. Langston Galloway had a wide-open three-pointer on the near wing, and he missed it. He came up short. That would have tied the game and sent the Knicks into overtime had he made it. Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody was expecting, you know, Rambus all of a sudden the team was going to be so much better coming yeah. out the next night. But I think we all know, unless Kurt Rambis helps his team go on a miracle run in the second half of the season, that Kurt Rambis is most likely not the guy for the future. So let me ask you, who yep. do you think should be the Knicks' next head coach? I, I'm i struggling with this one. I don't know if I have a set answer for you. I've been thinking about it. You know, I've been, I've been back and forth. I, I can tell you a lot of the guys I don't think it should be. Um, I think I wouldn't be um, opposed, if I were a Knicks fan, to have Thibodeau come in. I would be opposed to have Shaw. Currently, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he can be a successful coach in this league. And maybe a guy like uh, Shaw is perfect for for Porzingis, who is somebody who still has a lot of development to do. He's got high ceiling. Maybe help him reach that level. Right. I I don't know. I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna have to pass on the answer for this one for now. Hopefully, I'll have an answer in the next couple weeks. Right. Um. I I agree that I think it would take something special out of Rambus here, and. I mean, the Knicks didn't play really poorly last night, and like you said, it's not going to turn around immediately, but if I told you that the Knicks were going to shoot 53% from the field, they were going to out-rebound Washington 46-32, to and Melo was going to have 33, and Porzingis was going to have 20, you probably think the Knicks are going to win that game, right, yeah. if I tell you beforehand? Yeah, and, and you know, Wall, Wall did play very well, along with Beal, but no doubt if you get that kind of production out of Melo and Porzingis, you think you win the game. Yeah. But, um, you know, I have to ruin all of my credibility, not that I had any beforehand, <laughs> and, and kind of give you my theory of, of, of what I fear may happen. Not necessarily fear. I wouldn't really be opposed to it, um, although there is a part I am extremely opposed to. Phil has an opt-out, apparently, this mm-hmm. summer. Um, five year, he had a five-year, $60 million deal. He's in year three. Uh after this, after this, when this summer you know comes, he'll be entering year three, and he can opt out. And we've heard Jeannie Buss. Apparently, I've I've seen reports that she could clear house a little bit. She could fire Mitch Kupchak, the GM. She could get her brother Jim Buss to kind of step away from everything. And we all know Jeannie Buss, you know, is the fiance of Phil Jackson. <laughs> yeah. And. Phil Jackson had a quite a career in L.A., and I think he likes it over there, and I'm, I'm sure he loves Jeannie Buss. So what I'm thinking is if he ha- if he decides to opt out and Jeannie Buss is cleared house, why wouldn't he go to L.A.? And he could have the same power in L.A. with Jeannie Buss. He wouldn't have Jim Dolan. Not that Jim Dolan has has really interfered. We don't know. But I haven't seen anything that he's really been a problem for Jackson. But he still wouldn't have to worry about somebody above him like Jackson, I like Dolan, um, interfering with the process. And he could hire his own coach, Luke Walton. He could hire another dis- a disciple. Because yeah. Walton is definitely going to get offers. And Walton, a former Laker, would... I'm sure, welcome the idea or at least the possibility of being able to coach the Los Angeles Lakers, stay in the West Coast, 
have some good young players. Russell's disappointed a little bit, but he's still got a nice future. He's so young, yeah. You yeah. Uh, and they have Clarkson and Randall and guys like that. They have a protected top three pick this year. It makes a lot of sense for Jackson. So yeah, that pick, it'll be interesting. That pick, they're close right now. The lottery obviously can go any way. Yeah. Um, but and if that. If they get Ben Simmons, I mean. They, yeah, if they, can get, if they can get Ben Simmons out of it, 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 that'd be great. Right now they're in, I think they're the second worst. Uh, they have 11 wins, and Phoenix and Brooklyn have 14 apiece. Right. So I, I think, you know, just to interrupt your theory a little bit here, <laughs> I think that what happens there, if they happen to drop out of the top three, for example, and lose that pick, I think that might even have a, a bit of a influence on what happens. Right, right. But, you know, I don't see how he really loses anything, Phil, that is, by heading to L.A. Because he's got his fiance, he's he's in LA, he's he's got just as much, if not even more, power, and he's got a lot of young talent, and he's got cap room. So, and he doesn't have to deal with the Kobe retirement. So, Kobe's retired. You start your team, you start the triangle offense up in LA once again, and you got your disciple and Luke Walton again. So that was my theory. That's one thing I am skeptical of come this summer. And on the Knicks side, that would leave them without a GM once again. And I think Dolan would highly entertain the idea of bringing Thibodeau in for the fans, and that would allow him to kind of make his own little move for his own purposes. And I hate saying this this name, Isaiah Thomas. It is very scary. He is, you know, in charge. He's in the front office for the New York Liberty. <laughs> and we all know that Dolan wants to get Thomas back involved somehow. Whether there's reports or not, you know, as a Knicks fan, that Dolan is thinking about Thomas. So, does Thomas become GM of the Knicks, that even though Thibodeau? So, I don't know. It's scary. Kevin, you know, my mind's running. I'm a delusional Knicks fan. But when you're a delusional Knicks fan, you come up with insane theories like this. Yeah, but it's not that far out, though. Like, I could totally see all those things. You just laid out the perfect 